Welcome to the Cinemondo Podcast with Kathy, Mark, and Burke talking about movies, horror, sci-fi, unusual, unknown, forgotten, underappreciated, always interesting. Did you like those little moments of suspense that I put in there? I was, it was like the way you just drew that out was so good. Did it put you on the edge of your seat? It was scary. Was it scary? I thought you were, I, I thought you were <laughs> nauseous. Oh. <laughs> I thought you forgot our names. <laughs> forgot my lines. Like, it's going to remember? Line, line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I was trying to inject some suspense. And you know what? We, we've talked about this so much, but there's a filmmaker that we all like and we kind of have a bit of a love-hate relationship with. It's not maybe not quite hate and maybe you know it just there's a filmmaker Brian De Palma. I'll just flat. Oh, I thought you were going to say Steven Spielberg. Mm, no, another one. Uh, yeah. But Brian <laughs> De Palma movies have this this thing about them that a lot of times they're really sexist and you know cringy kind of subject matter and the way they treat certain characters and his almost open almost exposing his id kind of a thing on <laughs> a lot of them that's sort of hard to look at sometimes yeah. but his his suspense is always so great the the pacing and the timing and the and the the suspense and you know the feeling that you get when you see a really good suspenseful movie in the theater with a whole bunch of people and you have that energy around you in the theater i saw so many brian de palma movies in the theater and I think my my best memories of his movies is seeing him with a group of people where people are screaming, shrieking at the, at the exact right moment. And you can hear people getting uneasy in their seats and other parts. And, and you know, it just I think they're watch with a group of people movies. Uh, well, I'll, I, I love Brian De Palma, even even his movies that aren't good uh, are kind of intriguing failures. But his great movies are great because they're it's 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 pure cinema. I mean, he's all about the camera. Yeah, he's all about the camera movement, what's happening in the frame. It's much more over the story. The stories can be interesting, but I think it's it's all about here. I'm, I'm going to do some showy moves with the camera and you're going to just take it whether you like it or not. A lot of people go, oh, his stuff is too showy. Or it's just he, he's a Hitchcock clone and all this. Yeah, you know, guilty is charged, I guess. But I, I want to see movies like that. I want to see a, a filmmaker make stuff like that. Yeah. That's why, that's why I go to movies. Brian De Palma. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Brian De Palma. Well, and, you know, I remember being really dazzled by his camera work. And it was like the first time I really, really appreciated or noticed it even was when I was watching, you know, the Brian De Palma movie where they have this big one shot. You know, he's kind of notorious for those big long shots following people around. I remember thinking, this is amazing. What is this? Like, and it gives you this whole weird sense of suspense, even when nothing's really happening. Yeah. Really, really amazing. And in a way, the the drawing attention to the craft of filmmaking is fun in its way. You know, there's nothing, a, a lot of times his films don't really have a, a whole lot of realism you know, like the way yeah. someone like Scorsese would make a film where you're, you you can kind of lose yourself in the characters and the, the place and the settings and the story. Brian De Palma movies, a lot of times you're completely aware that you're watching a film almost in the way you feel when you're watching a play. It's hard to sit in a theater watching people on a stage with obvious stage sets and, and believe that you're seeing something really happening. You 
you have to exercise your brain a little bit more to put yourself in there and, and believe it and buy it and be compelled by it. And I think his movies draw attention to some filmmaking techniques and style. Like he'll do those split screens, like literally split the screen in half and have one thing happening on the left and one thing happening on the right. But in other times, he'll split the screen without without having it be two uh, filmed images, but he'll have a person that you're supposed to be looking at, but then something in the background will be happening that if you watch the film again, it has significance and you realize, oh, that was happening in the background. You know, it's, it's very meticulous filmmaking, very crafted. Yeah. There's like, a, he's, he has a long and varied career. I mean, started in the 60s and he's still making films today. But we're going to focus on sort of like three or four films from sort of the golden era of De Palma, which is uh, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, he did a bunch in a row that were just spectacular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it started with Sisters. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but there's uh, Obsession and Carrie and The Fury and on and on and on. Scarface. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he did Phantom of the Paradise, too, which we've mentioned on yep. this podcast a few times, which is a right. c- completely bizarre entry in his <laughs> filmography. It's a musical, <laughs> sort of a musical. Well, it's funny because I don't know if a lot of people really, you know, a lot of people really know who Brian De Palma is. Right. But when they, they know his movies, because he's done such iconic, incredible films, whether it's from Scarface to The Untouchables to even Carlito's Way, yeah. Bonfire of the Vanities. Like, these are massive films. Yeah. And I think when you talk about, like, you know, oh, who's Brian De Palma? People go, uh, no, no, you've seen his movies. He did Mission Impossible. I mean, yeah. he's not like a schlub at all, yet I feel like people don't really know or appreciate him in a way. And the oh. iconic images, too, in his films, too. You see, you, you've seen the poster you know, the, if you see the poster for Dress to Kill, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I like that movie. And Or the picture of Sissy Spacek with the blood all over her, you're like, oh, Carrie, yeah, I love that movie. And, you know, there's the images are just indelible in his films, you know, when you yeah. and and his like Mark was saying, just his um, love of the craft of filmmaking when you when you watch just about all of his films there's a there's at least a certain level of of care in how things are shot i mean even in something as almost by you know like a biography kind of a story like scarface where you're just following the events of a character a rise and fall in the in the gangster land there's nothing supernatural or outlandish all that outlandish about the idea of that story but when you think back on that movie and you think back on the extremes in that film, like the giant pile of cocaine on the desk and the huge firearms and, you know, Al Pacino screaming and the chainsaw. And it's like he puts this stuff in the film that you cannot forget. I think, but the pump, there's like, different types of De Palma films. Yeah. There's the comedy films, yeah. right? Which, But there's also the ones that the for hire, you know, the director for hire films. I think Mission Impossible is probably yes. like that. You know, it was very standard. It wasn't Brian De Palma-y. Right. And Mission then, to Mars. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mission to Mars. But then there are the films that are just, this is a De Palma film through yeah. and through. And, and I think the films we're going to really focus in on today are films like that. And uh, one of them is Dressed to Kill. Another one is Blowout. Body Double is another one, and then um, we'll talk a little bit about Snake Eyes, which was came out in 1998. That's the uh, the later one. But first, Burke wants to talk about Obsession, which is I think came out in 76. Yeah, 
uh, and it's, a, uh, it's an he's interesting seen that he's seen that recently. It's an it's an interesting film because it's one of the first, you know, Brian De Palma films that really he had only made a few films before that. And uh, he made Sisters before that, actually, which I consider to be like the first of the Brian De Palma style films because it Mm -hmm. had split screen and it had those strange themes, those kind of strange psychological themes where he was you know he's kind of tapping into Hitchcock a bit you know I think Vertigo is a huge influence on Brian De Palma Vertigo and Rear Window because especially Vertigo I think Brian De Palma has been subconsciously remaking Vertigo his entire life because it's a film about a psychological issues you know it's like a thing where you're you're driven you're obsessed and sisters has this weird reveal at the end and it goes into psychology and weirdness but obsession is literally the title of the film is obsession so it's similar to one of those clinical words that you know hitchcock would use like vertigo or psycho and so here's brian de palma making a movie called obsession and it's uh it is a bizarre almost perverse psychological film about quirks you know human quirks and how far would you go an obsession obsessed with with things or 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 these criminal acts that are so convoluted you know so convoluted that they take years to enact you know those kind of things the the story is really um a man loses his wife and then meets this woman in venice who who looks or no he meets her in uh in uh, Florence and she looks just like his deceased wife and uh, his wife had been kidnapped and there was this whole thing and then and you know spoiler you should watch the movie but spoiler it turns out that the woman he's been falling in love with because she looks so much like his wife turns out she's his daughter who also allegedly died when the wife was kidnapped you know so it there's that edge of weirdness there you know, you're like, okay, he's fallen in love with his daughter without realizing it. But then at the end, you know, there's this, it just, it's bizarre. It's right on the edge of being like, eesh, you know? Well, it's like, I mean, that's that's very much like Vertigo because yeah. James Stewart, you know, falls in love with the Kim, Kim Novak character. Yeah. And then after she dies, sees somebody who looks just like her, but tries to mold her to look just like her. You know, it's yeah. this obsessive obsession that she, that he has. And of course, at the end of Vertigo, it ends up being the same person because yeah. there's a whole setup, etc. So he took that so, one um, step further and, you know, it was written yeah. by Paul Schrader. And so the idea of taking that one step further and not only is, you know, has he been deceived by someone? He, he has been deceived by someone. This whole thing was a plot to to get his money and to get, you know, this revenge on, on him for something that he didn't really do, wasn't really responsible for. He was supposed to deliver this um, ransom money and his someone convinced him no don't give him the money let's give him fake money and then we'll tr- we'll, we'll follow him so his little girl grew up thinking that he didn't care enough about her to actually pay the money yeah. when in I- fact it wasn't his fault you know it was a misunderstanding and it was great 
I, I have to see that. I haven't seen that. And I think I saw it many, many years ago. So that's one I'll put on the list. But, well, that um, me just telling you that just blows the whole idea. That's okay. That's wait, okay. Wait. I'm, watch, I'm, I'm watching wait. for the split screens. I'm watching it for the, you know, uh, again, it's cinema over story for me for De Palma. Because some of his movies yeah. just don't make a hell of a lot of sense. And we'll get to one of those later. And they, <laughs> they have the great score, the great emotional score by Pino Donaggio, who... Um, really fantastic very very fantastic but you can tell there is some inspiration from bernard herman's amazing scores for his hitchcock films it's that that similar kind of um emotional resonance that the music has and a lot of it's you know you listen to the score for vertigo it's just an amazing score and it it fits so perfectly the weird little climbs and falls and dissonances in there have so much effect on the feelings in the film the feeling of feeling vertigo and and feeling dizzy and feel and being obsessed and being in love with someone you can't quite reach and then you can't find you know losing and the sadness and that's what i think those things about the hitchcock films are what really impressed the young brian de palma yes absolutely his films always have that have these people that are obsessed with something and driven and trying to find the answer to some weird question that they just can't get to you can't quite reach it and then when you finally do it's something really twisted (laughs) well i mean obsession was definitely you know vertigo inspired and and dressed to kill which came out in 1980 stars michael Caine and angie dickinson and keith gordon is very much inspired but by another classic hitchcock film psycho in a, in a way, but it's also got a lot of vertigo in it, too. Well, yeah, yeah. But it's like, uh, I mean, you know, if you haven't seen this one, you know, go out and and get this one, you know, stream this. Because this is just classic De Palma to yeah. me. I mean, it's it's just, it has everything. It has the incredible score, Pino Donaggio score. It's like you said, it's very Bernard Herrmann, but then there's like this Ennio Morricone vibe yes. to it. There's just something that's combined that just makes it so immersive. Yeah. And you follow Angie Dickinson's character. She's a very sad character. Uh, and what happens to her, but there's a great scene early on, you know, where she's in the uh, in the museum, an art museum. I guess that's the Modern Museum of Art in New York, I think. And it's the, the shot, almost yeah. shot for shot, the museum scenes in Vertigo. Yeah. And it's just... I, I I love. I feel like I'm in the museum for 15 minutes. Yeah. I love that. You know, yeah. I love that there's no dialogue. Right. It's all the camera just following her as she kind of, you know, discovers a stranger, this tall, dark, handsome stranger, and she's kind of trying to get his attention. And then she kind of, you know, she drops her glove, and he's he picks up the glove, and then she's kind of getting scared by the fact that she's attracting the stranger. Like, what is she doing? Is she blowing up her marriage? And so she's very torn, and she keeps going back and forth. And it it was an amazing scene. Long, long track shots and, and i love the scene where, go ahead okay. i love the the sort of i mean in any other film it would have been really cheesy the the effect of when she remembers where she dropped her glove there's a shot of angie dickinson and then on the on on one side of the screen and on the other side of the screen it kind of dissolves in a shot of her from earlier in the film dropping her glove on the floor like this is her this is a visualization of her memory like oh yeah i dropped it i dropped it and it's they do that a couple of times in this film where she remembers something and you actually
actually see into her mind for a second. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, and you know, she's chasing this guy and there's a great shot where he, she kind of walks by him and he sort of like looks behind cause you know, he's sort of behind wall or something. I just, the cat and mouse was really cool, great. And then Fantastic. like, she, she yeah. follows him out of the museum down the steps. And then you see the, he's in some limo and he has his hand out and he's got the glove and he's kind of like, you know, shaking the glove a little bit. And so he starts, she starts walking, walking over to him, but then the camera does this quick swoop from her to the limo. But you see real quickly the face of somebody, you know, who becomes ma- a major character in this movie. It's like just in there for a split second. It's the, uh, you see, you, see uh, the, you know, Bobby, quote yeah. unquote Bobby. You yeah. actually see a, a dark figure pick up her other glove. She drops her glove yeah. on the steps and somebody in the background you see. That, I mean, if you're not paying attention, you'd miss it. But there's this sort of dark figure of this blonde woman who leans down and picks up her glove. Well, yeah. The camera pans past her a couple times yes. on the street. Yeah, like, yeah see really, her really quick in the crowd. Loved, yeah. yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the catnip stuff for me in De Palma. The yes. Stuff that like you you watch it like third fourth time. Oh, that he's she's in this scene. Like, yeah. She's in this scene. Oh, that's not her. That's somebody else. You know, it's just like wow. It's following her and the idea that she's being followed. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good, and you know, it's that it's that same. It's super glossy. It's very romantic and glamorous, and you know, I I love the uh, even the opening scene is so gratuitously. Like I think <laughs> yeah. I watched these movies. I watched um, Blowout and uh, Dress to Kill and Body Double all in a row. You know, <laughs> like three nights in a row, and it's all these. They all have these completely gratuitous shower scenes of women in the shower. Yeah, and these close ups of their nude bodies. Yep. And because, you know, body double is all about like filmmaking and they and a blowout um, where they show a scene where they strip in the body double, like they have the body double for the actors come in and they do a close up of like, you know, her torso, her nude torso. Um, so when they're doing Dress to Kill and they shoot Angie Dickinson in the shower and then they cut to the torso shot, clearly a body double. Right. You yes. know, and they're just like, ah. So he's already substituting the body double in his shower scenes from the very beginning. <laughs> that was so funny because he made a play on it in like consecutive films. Uh, but I love how he, he took that and twisted it. It became like a surprise, like boo, kind of creepy moment in the shower. Even this this beautiful romantic music and it's like all foggy and misty and then blah, there's this big scary scene. It's sort of a Carrie-like throwback in a way. Um, but that those kind of set pieces where they're almost their own short film. Like yeah. you could take that, make it a short film. You could take the museum thing, make it a short film. The the one thing I thought was kind of comical is kind of a little bit not the total resolution, but when she, you know, has her her tryst with the stranger and she wakes up in his glamorous apartment, you know, and it's like. Oh look, he's this glamorous guy, and she's going over there to write this perfect note, like this mysterious, like what should I say? I don't want to sound too needy. I don't right. want to, you know. But so she's trying to think how. Oh, would love to see you again, and she's like, No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trash that. I don't want to say that, you know. And then she's trying to find another piece of paper, and she opens the drawer, and she sees <laughs> this, this official document saying you've contracted a venereal disease, obviously sent to the man she just slept with, right? Right. What I loved in that document, and that's one of the things that. De Palma, where how much of it is reality and how much of it is sort of more fantasy right. 
making the point where they had you contracted venereal disease two exclamation points <laughs> yeah. like in an official document from right. a doctor saying you have contracted uh, and to me i feel like that was her reading it and to, in her mind it was like exploding in it like oh, yeah. exclamation points venereal disease that was really how she was point. seeing it yeah so funny so i love the idea that she has this perfect moment she had this great little cat and mouse in the museum she had this very you know you know crazy you know sex sexual afternoon in the cab and in the apartment and then of course the god smack at the end where she has to you know feel guilty and then she's being punished because now she's got a venereal disease now she has to try and explain it to her husband it's just like oh my god her perfect little moment became this hideous nightmare like with, and it only gets worse with so many <laughs> horror films you know you get punished for so, doing that kind of thing funny yes. <laughs> and so you for having sex yeah <laughs> right and so she, you know the next great little short film you know as you said kathy is when she gets on the elevator and oh, uh, she's yeah. going down the elevator and then like this other this uh, woman comes on with her little daughter and the little daughter just keeps looking at her right like, just weird look and it's just kind of like oh my you know like she just feels this guilt or just the whatever that little girl is you know feeling she's just sensing like oh my god this is just getting worse because and i feel like that wasn't even happening right i feel like she feels conspicuous so yes. she felt like that yeah. little girl staring at her when she probably really wasn't right. yeah like all of a sudden she's been like they all know yeah they all, exactly. even the little girl knows what i just did yeah horrible shame oh it was so well done yeah she forgets her uh, forgets her wedding ring or engagement ring or something I know they do the great what Burke was talking about split studies, the scene where they flash to her ring on his night table you know yeah so oh, she's no. got to go back up you know which makes the... it even more awkward because now you know she's probably going to have to knock on his locked door and <laughs> oh, say um, I need to get my wedding ring my wedding ring <laughs> of all and things also, by the way yeah. I know you have a venereal disease yeah. <laughs> Exclamation point, ampersand, emoji. You know. But but sadly, Angie just never, she never makes it, right? She never right. F- never gets her wedding ring back. No, the way they no. shoot that back and forth and they draw it out so slow. And you're cutting the Nancy Allen, the door's open and there's yeah. Nancy Allen. And Angie Dickinson is in the elevator with this woman. And, and you know, she's been, you know stabbed a Slashed. few times it's like and so here's these quick slow motion cuts of nancy allen reacting and then cutting back oh my god it was so beautifully shot like so instilled like i get goosebumps the reflection in the mirror and her looking oh. up and seeing the reflection and then the person in the reflection seeing her looking at her in the reflection yeah and this Beautiful. big strange blonde woman in the elevator with the with the straight razor and just i mean just a classic scene and of course before that i mean i'm sure you saw it but like when she's first waiting to go down on the elevator they do one of those you know pan shots and in the you know the stairwell there's one of those opaque you know small windows and then you can see her face the blonde woman's face in there like kind of in the background that kind of stuff i just i can always watch it because that's just such it's so great because you have to really be watching the movie to catch that if you're just sort of casually watching a de palma movie you miss so much yeah he does that a lot where put where things are happening in the background and you even um even inconsequential things that i've noticed one thing that he always does is um 
it seems he always has very good background extra direction. Yeah. A lot of times you see background extras in movies and they're just, you know, if they're hired to just be in an audience, for instance, at a sporting event, you can tell that they were told, okay, you guys stand up and shake your fists around and open your mouths like you're shelling, like you're shouting and yelling and, and you see it. And these people just look so uncommitted, like, you know, and, yeah. but then, you see a Brian De Palma film, and it seems like all, every individual background extra has been told to do something, or even little incidental characters are memorable. Like, like you just mentioned, the little girl on the elevator. It's like yeah. there, there didn't have they didn't have to cast a little girl and her mom to be in that scene, but they yeah. did, and it adds so much to the feel of that scene, even in yeah. you know inconsequential. I mean, the little girl has nothing else to do with the film. Yeah, right. It just amplifies that shame that she was feeling. You can yeah. feel her. Like, you feel it with her. Yes. Because you're just like, oh, my God, she has this little weak moment of hers that turned out to be this beautiful moment. Now it's this hideous nightmare moment. It was a and mistake. And the little girl's just compounding it and compounding it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. And then, you know, like Keith Gordon, who plays Angie Dickinson's son, who's sort of like this brainiac kind of guy, you know, uh, science nerd guy. He's really good. Like, he's like a really compelling character. And Michael Caine, who plays this, like her uh, psychologist, is also very compelling and interesting. Yeah. It's always so, worth watching a movie just with Michael Caine in it, period. Yeah. So no matter what, you've, you've got Brian De Palma and Michael Caine. There, you're done. You just need to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know what the, the story, I mean, when you see it again, all these things, like when Michael Caine looks looks in the mirror and there's just there's something that happens every time he's he's sexually challenged by a woman or 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 someone is trying to seduce him or says something sexual to him like Mm -hmm. at the scene there's a scene where angie dickinson is talking is feeling you know insecure or whatever and because she's approaching middle age i guess and uh even though still stunningly beautiful of course but um she's worried about it i guess and her home life is awful and she looks at him and she says well do do you find me attractive would you sleep with me at that moment he sees he looks at his reflection in a mirror almost like his reflection is commenting on him like Mm -hmm. or or that the reflection in the mirror is his conscious it's his jiminy cricket saying be careful you know yeah and every time any other woman in the film suggests anything like that later when nancy allen does there's another mirror you know there's one great shot where he backs up and into a full-length mirror and it's a shocker scene because it looks like he backs into another person's in the room suddenly but then he looks at it and it's himself those mirror shots are awesome i love that whole idea and what what the resolution of the story turns out to be it's it's pretty perfect should we be spoilery with this of of course this movie years old give away yeah because we're trying to suggest people watch him and i think you know we don't need to tell the ending we can skirt around because i feel like most of brian de palma relies on surprise yeah and we don't want to take all these great surprises because there's so many great shocks and turns and twists in this but you know it's funny you're we can talk about the end scene in a way because the end scene again all has to do with mirrors seeing reflections seeing a threat in a mirror seeing you know a a scene in the mirror that you think means something but it actually means something else like it's amazing how much he played with reflection in that film also windows and glass like there's a lot of stuff like yeah. outside of his apartment uh, his um his office also in that subway scene that great subway scene where he she nancy allen's character is being chased by yes. those guys and uh yeah uh, i love that 
scene. Yes. You know, and yeah. that, that's just got fantastic stuff. This I mean, movie is music full of that, great set pieces. Yeah. Yes. It's just it's a winner start to start to finish. And yeah, one so. thing about that final scene when uh, Keith Gordon is outside of a of a place looking in and Nancy Allen is his uh, accomplice in this act that they're trying to pull off this thing. She goes in to a building and goes into a place to secretly gather information and he's you know outside he can't go in he can't help her but he's looking at her with his binoculars that's so rear window so you know familiar yeah and it's yeah. Hitchcock. and then he sees yeah. something happening to her he sees her being threatened and it's that whole jimmy stewart it's like no no you know i can't yeah. do anything because i'm i'm way out here with my binoculars and i'm just having to watch it in the yeah. pouring rain in the pouring rain, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to do this, getting soaked to the skin. It was pretty funny. So yeah, definitely uh, one of the classic Brian De Palma movies. Yeah. Super glossy, super high end. Yeah, a little bit. Bloody, it's, real- it's a bit bloody, you know, for people. But you know, his movies are well, going to have some violence and some yeah. th- th- that that slashing scene in there. And the yeah. th- a lot of people. I mean, I've seen a lot of gore over the years, but you, it's. The reason it's so effective, I think, is because you just really like Angie Dickinson in this movie. You feel for her. Yeah. She's a she's a sad, she's a sort of a tragic character in this, and you really want her to be happy, you know? Right. And you yeah. want things to work out for her, and you feel her pain, you know, and her sadness and all. She's struggling, and, and then to have that happen to her, it's heartbreaking, you know? That's what makes that scene so um, harsh and powerful, I think. And one other scene, I'll just leave it that, uh, you know, Dr. Levy, who's another character, that her, his scene on the stairs with yes. Michael Caine, I think it's, yes. is, is, is really like, that's what I, I said. I kind of missed that the first time I, I'm watching yep. that going, wow, this mm-hmm. is just brilliantly done. It's so good. It you know? His it, reaction. That's why it's worth watching twice. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. That scene right there is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because, um, you know, when he talks to the doctor, the doctor's reaction is weird. He kind of laughs a little bit. He goes, uh, Okay, well let's yeah. let's go into my office and talk about this, you know. And then you're thinking, is he just like brushing him off? Is he treating him exactly. with disrespect? Sure, or of course. Then, then you watch the film a second time, or after the film is over, and you think back on that scene, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. weird. So good. I know yeah. it was really funny. So our next film. As we're moving along, you know, in the history of De Palma would be Blowout, which it's funny. I In my head, I thought Body Double came before Blowout, but no, Blowout came first. Mm. Um, yeah. So we have Blowout, which in compared to Dress to Kill almost feels more restrained because we don't have... Well, we do have a gratuitous shower scene, but right. there's not any characters <laughs> we really care about. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this stars, Brian De pa- this stars uh, John Travolta, um, Nancy Allen again. Um, they're the main characters. And also, um, I think what what's kind of interesting about this is that he takes, he gets kind of meta with it this time where, you know, because Brian De Palma, he thinks he's all about filmmaking and, you know, setting up shots and how things work, you know, in the process of filmmaking. And so this is a film about filmmaking. Yeah. So it was kind of fun to see him play around with the super exploitative kind of filmmaking and the analog kind of filmmaking that we had, you know, back then, which was, you know, recording stuff with a you know, microphone, having it on tape, you know, that, that was fascinating to me. Like watching this, these meticulous scenes of, of John Travolta taping and then labeling and putting the, you know, sound clips together and put, you know, putting them on the reel and all these weird machines i didn't know what they did you know it was so so fascinating even though it had not a lot to do with 
the actual narrative of the film, but it had to do with the whole inside filmmaking idea of like what's real and what isn't real, which I thought was really, really smart. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, let's break this down. What's it well, about? Razor blades all, and tape to cut the film <laughs> yeah. together and the ta- it, like, yeah, it was yeah. fascinating to see that technology. Love that. Mm-hmm. Well, Travolta is great in this. I mean, he, he plays really a sound is. sound engineer for like this low like exploitation horror you know movie a studio in Philadelphia, and they're trying to get a scream and the, the scream is awful in this shower scene you know so uh, they say go out and get some get some new uh, sounds go out and get some sounds so he takes his microphone out to Wissahick into Schuylkill River and I lived in Philly so I know exactly <laughs> where he was. <laughs> And this is one of my favorite of all De Palma stuff. I love the shot with him at night with his microphone taking, all, you know, doing like, you know, he, oh, he hears a frog croaking. So the, the camera follows the microphone to the frog. And then you have this shot, like a close-up shot of him, then a mid-shot, and then a far shot. And then you hear the two people talking on a bridge. So he goes to that. And then he hears something else, a weird kind of like weird sound. And I just found it was really compelling filmmaking about how you collect sound sounds from you know from out from out there i just thought it was beautifully shot and And it also seemed very like considering the film he was working on it showed like his pride and the kind of work he was doing that he would go out and get specific you know background ambient sounds like just being outside in a forest to put background into the super crappy exploitative horror film that he's working on he's still trying to gather that library of good sounds that he can use so you knew he was a, a, a guy who had some integrity yeah and you care about him because then he sees this car uh, like a, get a blowout, hence the title of the movie, and careen off into the river. And he's watching this, and he goes, you know, he goes, Jesus Christ! And he starts running and trying to save what you know, save the people in the car. And he just automatically, okay, this guy's a good guy. He's actually trying to help, and uh, he jumps right in the water. Get- yeah, you get right, and he's trying to get, you know, going, there's great scenes underwater, and then, like, there's Nancy Allen's character is, is stuck in there, and, you know, he finally gets her out. But meanwhile, there's something, of course, happening in back while yes. he's, you know, diving underwater. There's something happening underneath this bridge far away. And that's, you don't pick that up the first time either, because you're really just watching him, you know, trying to trying to save the, you know, you're just watching his character. You don't see what's happening in the back. Or if you do, was, you're like, what the hell? And it kind of stays in the back of your mind, you know? know you're you're like yeah. who, who was that it was somebody yeah, what's moving? the mysterious guy running yeah. around and i'm still trying to figure out who it is to be honest with you it's like i, I don't know who it is it's one of two people isn't it no it was uh, it was it was the guy what Brian, the, da- franz right dennis um, franz who's in so many was, of, uh, okay, okay. Ma- manny carp yeah because he tells later he tells the you know okay he tells us that he was a part of this thing you know first i thought it was lithgow but it, but it wasn't right yeah i did too at first i was thinking cause because you're like why is he there well now we know what's going on yeah. so yeah. yeah but lithgow 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 i believe this is his second film with uh, de palma he was also an obsession he's the he's the heavy weird twist in uh, obsession and uh, he's also in this one as a really sinister character <laughs> has some great he dialogue very, he plays it very well I mean, yeah he's really good in this yeah. oh he's just he's crazy, really yeah. good because he seems very like just really uh checked out doesn't care about anything like he's like don't just get the job done and yeah. i love when he's trying to sound kind of frantic when he's calling in like a 911 call yes. he's like oh my god i didn't mean to do it 
And then he's just kind of just has this flat face of walking yeah. away, like ugh, you know, like yeah. didn't feel it all. It was all just a performance. It was amazing. Lithgow is so great in this film. He's he's just so creepy. It's totally memorable. Another totally memorable character. And a lot of times it's because they're so pushed, you know, they're so pushed out of recognizable reality. So this was kind of De Palma's take on Blow Up, which was yes. a film about a photographer who thinks he might have captured a crime on film as something happening in the background when he was taking photographs outside. So I, I like, so what ends up happening in this film is, De, you know, Travolta is trying to decipher the sound effects and thinks that the it was actually a, a sabotage, like an assassination where the, the tires were shot out. So he thinks he hears a gunshot. So he's trying to make people believe him. And it's that classic you know, Hitchcockian, you know, setup where it's like one guy knows the truth and he can't get anyone to believe him. <laughs> he keeps right. trying to prove it to everyone and the cops are total assholes. And in the meantime, the guy who actually, you know, is behind all of this is trying to make it look like it's part of a serial killing, you know, and so now they're trying to prove these are connected. So it's got a really um, cool crime film, you know, setup that's very intriguing. Yeah. And also, I appreciate the fact that it was also Travolta and Nancy Allen together again since, you know, Carrie. Yes. You got to kind of see them together (laughs) acting as like not boyfriend and girlfriend, but but potential boyfriend and girlfriend. But here's the thing. I like that. Here's the interesting thing. It's it it really points out how great John Travolta was at a certain point in his career and, you know, still may be at some point in the future, but this was like prime Travolta. He's so good in this. And the thing is, I love Nancy Allen. She's always been really good in, in uh, the De Palma films and Robocop and all these movies that she's done. You just really like Nancy Allen. She's classic in Carrie. I think she's one of the greatest things in Carrie, but in this movie, I just can't, get her character i can't believe her character because she's she was awful she's doing this. this terrible accent actingly awful and she's acting like she's trying to be a bad actress which is weird because yeah. i know she's not but she's acting like she's trying to portray someone in a film as a bad actress you know what i mean yeah it's a weird choice because I'm like, this is a definite choice. She's picking this accent. She's picking this way of being this character. And it's like, okay, is she trying to be like just sort of a, a person that's not very smart? And, you know, uh, but the, the voice, it's just, it's an odd choice. I, I think it's an actual, it was a choice by like, her or De Palma to, to, it wasn't that she was just being a bad actress. She's just, just the choice they decided to make for her. Mm-hmm. And it just feels, it feels incongruous to the rest of the movie like why yeah. would De, like Travolta Travolta's character all of a sudden kind of be you know attracted to her uh, just because she he saved her it just if didn't that doesn't gel that's the one part of the movie that doesn't quite work but he's so good in it and so compelling that you just go along with him yeah at least for me like there's also, a great scene where he yeah go ahead I was gonna say I also loved his backstory you know when they kind of explain uh, you know where Travolta came from where he right. originally worked for law enforcement and he was the guy who would wire people the sequence uh, and again like the problem can make a bunch of short great short films yeah. inside films and that that whole scene was spectacular where he has to wire this guy and it turns out the wire is like um, short circuiting or something and burning the guy while he's <sighs> in the car with these mobsters and you're just and it has haunted him his whole life like the outcome of what's going on in this in this scene so he he basically gave it up 
because he's like can't handle it so he's become this very he's sort of deadened himself to it and now he makes really bad horror films he felt but like it was that his that fault sort of, he felt yes, responsible he for this himself. guy being killed by these Which mobsters it technically was yeah <laughs> but it, it's a, it's you know. a great scene like the scene really where he goes good. i'm i'm burning a hole in his body or it's been yeah. like that like he's just, it's like holy shit you know and he runs in there himself he was just the tech guy you know but then he runs yeah. in there himself they're like don't go in there don't go and and it's just yeah. really really good scene yeah it's yeah. great it's classic it's also a classic setup for what happens later in the film too mm-hmm. yeah as far as feeling responsible for something and the um I guess we we'll, we can save the uh, save the um, the ending on this one too. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the idea that they set this up as like he he's been running from this terrible outcome of his last wire job that he did yeah. for the police. Then he has to, you know, certain circumstances he that he decides to go ahead and wire someone again and try and do it right this time. And of course, you know, everything goes awry. Things always do. So I thought that was great that he's haunted by this thing and now he's do making all the same mistakes yeah. in all his good intentions. You know, and so it, it it's probably one of my favorite endings. This yes. film probably is one of my favorite endings to any De Palma film ever. Yeah. Is the ending and then the sort of uh add on ending. Like the, yes. the, yeah. It's like it's so it's, each ending was perfect. It is so dark. Well done. It is very loved. dark. So dark. Yeah. And that's why I loved it. It was like, ah, because you could see the decision of filmmakers, especially nowadays, how they would have ended this differently. Yeah. Right. And how it would have been a different ending and it would have had this kind of you know resolution. And you see them going down their throat. It's like they're not really gonna do this, are right. they? And then they do it and you're like, oh my God. So it's it's just one of the great endings of all and time. It's, it's also beautifully shot. Like yes. it, it happens during a like a Liberty Day celebration, so there's a lot of fireworks in the sky and the music. Donaggio's music uh, at music the, is just so in the slow motion. It's just so evocative and so just like so cinematic. I mean, I, I never saw this in the theater. I wish I had because I, I can imagine that was amazing. Yeah, and then the secondary ending is just and, De pa- so and Tra- Travolta's face, yes, expression. Yeah. It's just beautiful acting. It's really yep. like Pauline Kael, who was one of the toughest critics of all time thought this was a terrific film and, and compared Travolta to Marlon Brando so he's this good yeah. in this movie so Travolta, a good one. Travolta yeah. was quite good in a, quite a lot of movies you know I mean he did some he did some things that people kind of ridiculed him for of course you know I mean he was always associated with Welcome Back Cotter in the early days a TV series and and back in those days if you started out in television you were sort of a lesser a lesser creature you know and but then uh, he had Saturday Night Fever that was huge and Saturday know? Night Fever yeah. yeah but people made Which fun is a of lot it worse. I know, but it's funny because that film is a lot more serious than you remember or think yes. it's going to be because of that stupid song and that scene of him in that dumb white suit. Yeah. And then the whole movie ends up being a whole different like kind of downer. And he's amazing in it. Be. He's a, just yeah. great in that movie. He's a good actor. He, he just really needs is. to find the right projects. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he kind of made that comeback with Pulp Fiction. He was yes. great in Pulp Fiction. Right. He was. so good. I was like so happy, you know. Yeah. He can still but do Blowout's it. He just great. needs to pick his scripts a little bit better, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Blowout's right. got uh, some great stuff you were talking about the Liberty Day celebration in Philadelphia and there's a you know the there's some other films 
you suspense films a lot of times they like to one of the things like a set piece in some suspense films or chase films or whatever is that there always seems to be some sort of an event happening and like a parade or a, a big street party or something that that our our hero has to disrupt somehow or drive through the middle of or upset the the fruit cart or whatever and this one has a great scene where there's a parade and he's in his jeep speeding to try to save somebody's life and he's speeding he ends up driving right through this parade and it's like when i look at that and i think about the times that i've you know worked on films with things like this where we're shooting on locations with a ton of background extras and stunt people and all that that i just get the cold sweats when i see that i'm like that is so difficult to shoot that kind of thing yeah and it's just amazing. It's like a, it's a. Well, there's another movie coming up that has a huge amount of background extras in a Brian De Palma film that are pretty much spotlessly directed. There's not. There's no. Um, there's nobody in this crowd scene and blowout who's waving at the camera or just standing there with a goofy smile on their face. Everybody's yeah. running and fleeing and reacting properly, realistically. And it's it's very suspenseful final chase yeah. in this film. Yeah, it's great. It's a great yeah, movie. It's yeah, really, it's really good. Next. And, and next is Body Double from 1984. And um, and between Blowout this, and Body Double, he did Scarface, which we may talk course. about some other time. We should time. be a whole episode <laughs> I know. Yeah. I have to see that one again. I, I almost don't out. want to watch it again because <laughs> I, that one scene yeah. in the with the chainsaw, I that still haunts me. I can barely, I can't almost can't stand that scene. Yeah, just tough. so disturbing. Um, so, so body double I feel like is a better is a really good partner to all these films because it has the same Hitchcockian you know influences big time you know Rear Window being the obvious one you know about yeah. you know seeing something you know through your window like looking at your neighbors and then you know of course misinterpreting it or interpreting it correctly you're not sure which <laughs> so so that's where it starts we have Craig Wasson who yeah. you know cool actor. Um, he's been in a ton of stuff. And then, uh, I guess, was this kind of um, Melanie Griffith's first big... I mean, she's been acting a long time, but this kind of put her on the map, I think? Or trying to think either, of anything she did before that? Either Something Wild might have come out a year before. Yeah, I loved Something John, Wild. Yeah, yeah, me too. I yeah, think that came out maybe that. a year earlier than this one, but certainly she, you know, this was kind of like a compelling... You know, she's, you know, she doesn't come into it till like halfway through the film. Yeah. Yeah. But she certainly is, you know, it brings a lot of feistiness and, you know. Yeah, she's, she's a really, highlight. She's a highlight, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting film, Body Double. You know, Body I don't, Double came out first, 84, uh, something well oh. came out, 86. Okay, okay. So, uh, obviously. It's a natural progression. Right. They right, filmed right. some of Something Wild in my old hometown of Tallahassee, Florida. That's right. Wow, interesting. Um, well, what do you think of Body Double? There's a lot well, to talk about in this movie. Yeah, so Body Double's about an actor who's um, kind of out of work, and he runs into a guy at one of his actor workshops who says, you know, he's trying to find a new place to live. Because his girlfriend, who ends up being Barbara Crampton, in a, uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> whose entire scene is just basically writing some dude on a bed completely nude. Yeah. Um, that's her scene. And so she's the girlfriend that has been cheating on him, so he moves out. So he needs a place to live. So he runs into a guy at one of his workshops and says hey i'm going out of town you can stay at my place it ends up being that great insane house in the hollywood hills that looks like a spaceship yeah yeah 
I forget what it's called, but the Chemosphere house. Yes. So he gets to stay in the Chemosphere, which is the coolest, weirdest house ever. And it's in the Hollywood Hills. You can still see it. It's still there. Um, So he's staying in this house that basically is a spaceship with windows on all sides so he can see out across the hollywood hills and his friend kind of goes hey you should watch this this woman does this erotic dance every night at the same time here's a telescope take a look you know it was a super creepy scene like okay <laughs> whatever <laughs> so he watches this woman perform the striptease in her bedroom across the way in this other super you know rich hollywood hills house and then craig Watson's like i'm gonna like staying here this is pretty cool right <laughs> so, because the internet hasn't been invented yet <laughs> I know, because that's right. how you did it then. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now you can just do that anywhere. Uh, so that's basically where it starts. And then, go ahead, Mark, you can continue. The, well, you know, it, it, like uh, early, I mean, there's a lot of, to me, I, when I first saw this, I immediately knew what was happening. I mean, it's, I, I kind of feel like, like it was this just poorly done in the sense of like, What's what's happening? I could tell right away who this. There was this other character that was, I guess, quote unquote, the Indian. You know, like right. kind of a native Native American guy. He's working like he's a welder. He's doing something on some, uh, like works for some cable company. He's doing something with a satellite dish or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's kind of like hanging around that other house. And Craig Wasson's character kind of sees what's happening and goes, "What's this guy up to?" And uh, I could immediately tell what was happening, like who this character was. So it felt like early on, okay, I know what's going on but maybe it was just i had a lucky guess i don't know well i think it was because it's interesting because that character of the of the other the friend of his who is this actor who keeps running into him at auditions and things and going oh hey buddy and he he kind of sticks up for him in an acting class and and uh, is kind of almost like observing him and and there was really no attempts made to cover up the fact that this guy was up to something even from the very beginning of the film you kind of tell that he's sort of stalking Craig Wasson's character and and looking at him in these kind of weird ways and you can kind of tell that he's being going to be manipulating him somehow you don't know what he's up to but you're like okay he's playing Craig Watts Craig Wasson somehow here yeah you know I, I wondered about that because you know I I already knew what the the resolution was so I saw it coming a mile away but I watched it with Chad and he had no clue no kidding. Oh, he didn't. He didn't know. He didn't see it coming. He didn't see anything okay. wrong with the guy giving his apartment. So I keep wondering if maybe that's something in retrospect that we think it seems obvious when maybe it's not. Even though maybe. I think the dead giveaway is just in the title alone. So to me, it was like right. The yes. title is called Body Devil. So what could this be? Well, when you Except think about the, it, the twist is. The body double is not who you think it is. So that, to me, was like the sort of twist on the body double. It's interesting um, to realize that when you think of a movie like Dress to Kill, and think about the title of that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very yeah. literal. When you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very literal. But it, that's why it's so kind of a brilliant title, Dress yeah. to Kill, because you don't, it's, it has a couple of different meanings, too, right. obviously. Yeah. And, you know, as all good Brian De Palma films, this one has another great shower scene. <laughs> It's like including a body double. Um, And so we have, you know, Craig Wasson is a vampire who gets claustrophobia. He's having trouble doing his scene as a vampire because he can't be in the coffin. So he's having trouble. So his his whole setup is that he has weird panic attacks if he feels like he's closed into a space. So we know that's going to happen somewhere. A little bit like vertigo. 
Yes, right. exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Hitchcock again. So we have rear window and vertigo so far, which, you know, I like De Palma's yeah. unabashed Hitchcock <laughs> I obsession. I think so it's I, really fun. I'm okay I with it the, too. I see the tributes and I am like, oh, that's pretty great. You know, cause yeah. really I can't think of anyone who does that stuff better than De Palma. <laughs> so, yeah. And who doesn't like he, he, Alfred Hitchcock? I mean, you know, exactly. I'd love to see more Alfred Hitchcock films and seeing a Brian De Palma film sometimes is the next best thing. Absolutely. And I also like, you know, and this is vertigo too. Like he becomes obsessed with the woman across the way because he's, he's feels abandoned and alone. He's in a place that isn't his. He's watching this woman. He's becoming attached to her. So he kind of in a way is kind of trying to figure out a way to meet her. And so when he ends up running into like her, she's coming out of her driveway, the same hand, he starts stalking her. So he follows her to and We have another great, like dress to kill, like scene where the camera, this big long scene where he's following her to this insane mall on West side, yeah. uh, Hollywood. And, uh, and let me bring that up too. the, another thing I want to talk about is, is I loved all the Hollywood locations yes. of like the farmer's market, you know, yes. the, the, the West side, like when you're seeing all this stuff, because this is also a tribute to Hollywood because he's an actor he's in hollywood it's it's another meta film where it's inside what's real what isn't real you know that's the palma's you know specialty i loved all that because you could see the real affection for hollywood in it barney's beanery is in there and yes barney's beanery big character in it tale of the (laughs) pup the old tale of the pup that's not there anymore the 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 hot dog stand that looks like a giant hot dog that that people may i know so cute and the farmer's market and beverly center and yeah. So Craig Watson is starting to get sort of creepy because yeah. he's well, following he's... her and she he starts peeking at her trying on underwear in the lingerie <laughs> store and it's was... super creepy. And then when she comes out and drops the underwear in the trash like she's had second thoughts, he picks up the underwear and puts it in his pocket and you're like, right. okay, dude, seriously. So you're sort of starting to lose a little bit of your sympathy for him because he's being way over the top. Right? <laughs> and then the, the woman that she, he's following is this actress, Deborah Shelton. Who I didn't see too much after uh, yeah. th- this film, but... Uh, she has spectacular hair. Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> uh, but definitely that whole kind of scene in that mall is just so reminiscent of De Palma, just following so. her. And then all you see the Indian character, you know, kind of in the background on, yep. ele- you know, on the elevator or going up and down escalators. So something is happening there, too. So that's so the woman is being stalked by two people, two right. creepy people. Right, yeah. right. right. <laughs> this poor woman's just trying to go to the mall and shop for some underwear, and she can't leave these guys behind. <laughs> <laughs> so then he follows her to... Uh, uh, like a beachside, uh, I guess a hotel. Um, and she's like, seems like she's waiting for someone. So Craig Watson's kind of like still watching her. He's creeping around. And, uh, and so then the Indian, of course, of course, also creeping around knew where she was going to be ends up robbing her, like, you know, stealing her purse and running. And so running past her. So Watson, I'm going to be the big hero and this will be my moment. So he chases the Indian and they go into a tunnel and he has a panic attack. Right. And so he looks like an asshole because he's trying to rescue her and it's not working. And right. the, they do the camera effect from Vertigo to yes. show his yes. effect of, of claustrophobia so in the tunnel, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Where they, it's an interesting effect. It, you know, you see, you recognize it when you see it. There yeah. was one in Jaws. You know that great shot yes. of yes. Uh, in Jaws and uh, Roy Scheider, where the camera is simultaneously dollying out, dollying away from the subject while yeah. the lens is zoomed 
zooming in on the subject or it's vice so versa. And you yeah. get you get this Beautiful. change of depth of field. And they do that in that tunnel scene where Craig Wasson is trying to right. and it really imparts that feeling of uneasiness sure and disorientation it's and almost gets you queasy if you have any kind of, you know, compu- like a, a sort of angle towards vertigo, which I do. Like that's the way it feels when you get it vertigo, does. you sort of lose your sense of balance. And that's what that was. So, you, yeah. And not so much you're blacking out, but you're like, I can't, I don't know what's right. What's up, what's up and down. Yeah. That's, that's a horrible I've, feeling. I've had to work. I worked on a set one time where there was a character who was supposed to be uh, enclosed in a, um, I don't want to give away what it was, but the actor was supposed to be enclosed in a very enclosed space and kind of freaking out. And the way, the way they took, well, not exactly, but they were, they were, the way, the way they shot it was similar to the way they shot it in um, this movie in Body Double where Craig Wasson has his panic attack at the beginning where they, they have a, a coffin that looks like it's buried in a, in a set, but it's like a cutaway of the side of the coffin. Yeah. So there's all the other sides of the coffin are there, but the front side is gone so that the camera can look in and see him. But, um, this this uh, set that I was on, the actor had to be inside something that was really a little bit more confined than that, and he had a panic attack. And it was I remember thinking, "Wow, this is like this is like body double," <laughs> and, but he had to get out of that thing right now and go over and and, and open the door and breathe fresh air yeah. and look at the sunlight. And I get it, just yeah, totally. And especially, you know, the thing is when you're on a set and there's a billion people all around you, on you know, and the producers are paying all of them and there's a lot of pressure and there's actors have to endure a lot more pressure than people think and this i think one of the great things about this movie is it shows how um how much of a struggle it can be for an actor you know i mean they have to take these roles that are embarrassing sometimes maybe or things that they're like oh i gotta do it because i gotta pay the bills and then they lose the job and then they're going around to these auditions these demeaning room full of people that are staring at you and all this so his his uh, depiction of a sort of a down and out actor is is actually pretty interesting to watch too. And Dennis Franz is the director. Yeah, yeah, him. <laughs> yeah, again, him All again. his favorite people. Yeah. We're only missing Nancy Allen in this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I like, well, one one thing I really like about the movie again is Pino Donaggio's score. Oh. I mean, it's yes. There's 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 kind of like that the 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 scene where you know the, she's dancing sexy. There's that kind of like whatever that music is is like yeah. strangely wonderful. And I was like, I there was a show on uh, Amazon uh, that took a lot of De Palma cues. The show Homecoming, right. and one of the episodes had that exact music that <laughs> that composition in one of the episodes. So I said, I love this music. What is it from you know and then boom i thought oh, it must be de palma and it was from body double i love i, I actually love that piece of music it's they very also pulled music compelling. from dress to kill there's another scene yeah. like they had a few de palma songs and oh, cues sure. in there it was insane yeah. the yeah, dancing really music in in body double is very 80s though it's got that sort of 80s oh, hollywood hills vibe to it and yeah like that he did that thing a lot in a lot pino donaggio did that thing in a lot of his songs which is kind of similar to what ennio morricone did too where he would use a woman's voice as an instrument. She's not singing lyrics. In in a lot of the Morricone stuff, he would have a woman just singing like a, like a wind instrument. And in this one, it's got a woman's voice kind of doing these breathy tones, you know. And, it's very uh, Morricone. Yeah. Very Morricone. 
Ah, yeah, really, really, yeah, I love it, you know, so good with those kind and, of 80s keyboards or preset sounds. And like, uh, well, I think my I'll just talk about my favorite scene in the movie, and I'll is that whole scene with the drill. Oh, my God, oh, so, God. Good. <laughs> so good, yeah, I think it's incredibly well done. And yeah. like the whole scene where he kind of breaks, you know, he, he's running, Craig Watson's character is running down because he knows something's up, and he uh climbs over the fence and he kind of you know smashes the window. And then you hear the drill. That whole scene is just so like intense. Yes. Yeah, it's really intense. Great. And that drill, man, he could not make that look more phallic. Right. I mean, De Palma was just like, "What?" <laughs> like yep. he was holding that drill. Yeah. And so the the fact that anyone would even use a drill as a murder weapon is very yeah. complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and I love. There's even like a little impish humor where he's closing in with the drill, and then the drill becomes unplugged, and it just stops. Yes. And you're like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> so I just love that because it just is totally messing with the audience and messing with. Everything everyone it was so well done it totally takes it. a horribly suspenseful like, scene and it's just no it came unplugged <laughs> just kidding oh never mind i know couple, and then it's not there are a couple of scenes that like they're weird like i didn't know what like there's one scene where like she's in that in that scene in the drill scene where she's fighting for a life you know like and i think maybe the drill uh that's when the drill comes unplugged she sort of just sort of kicks with her heel like hits his like shin or something and he gets knocked out he actually falls to the ground <laughs> And I'm like, what? And then like she trips over the bed and it gets knocked out. So I was like, it's like De Palma being kind of goofy, like trying to kid around with that. Very what? strange humor in the middle of a weird, like, violent death scene. Yeah. yeah. Like or like, or was the Indian character like uh, just you know just faking it because it just didn't make any sense to me. I, I didn't get a lot of it, but that's okay. I kind of went with it, but it was just sort of like, huh? Yeah, it's a little he be weird to me. The, yeah. You know, but whatever. It's okay. It was just this overall scene is incredible. And then the movie is just has so many weird things in it. Like right in the middle of the movie, there's a uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood you know, yes. video. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I feel like that's where, okay, a few things happen when that happens. So it's like have, a porn we video. We have this really <laughs> yeah, tight, exactly. cool thriller that's yeah. rear window, basically. Yeah. yeah. Then all of a sudden, it goes off the rails into this weird, like he, he gets the part as a guy in a music video, but the music video is being filmed and shot and played out like it's really happening yeah you know, so they're following him you know here comes the i guess it's paul rutherford whoever the the singer frankie goes to hollywood he comes walking he's singing it's a real guy from the band singing and you have all these porn stars everywhere it's almost like they're in the sex club and there's this music going on here comes craig wasson in his kind of nerd outfit and he encounters you know melanie griffith and they have like this big sex scene on camera but you feel like it's really happening but you don't even realize till the they yell cut or something when the the big scene happens that they're actually being filmed for a porn film that he's actually, you know, we know he was going for the role, but you don't really realize what's happening. So that to me is where the film stops being literal and starts being really like magical thinking, not yes. real. And that's all fantasy. Yeah. Like I'm beginning right. to wonder if any of it even happened after that point. <laughs> it got really I, strange. I so he hooks up. We, but I think my most favorite scene, and we need to play this clip, is Mel is in the bar with Craig Watson, who's pretending to be a porn producer, and she's telling him what she would do. Well, films cost money, you know. I got money. Well, then what are you doing in hardcore? I wanted to meet you. Why? Because I think you're sensational. I think you're the best in the business. I'll pay you top dollar. I'll give you points. Whatever it takes. Really? I want you in my picture. 
You're really serious, huh? Yeah. Shit. Of course I am. Okay, good. And there are some things that I like to get straight right up front so that there are no misunderstandings later on. Oh, I don't blame you. I do not do animal acts. I do not do S&M or any variations of that particular bent. Um, no water sports either. I will not shave my pussy. No fist fucking and absolutely no coming in my face. I get $2,000 a day and I do not work without a contract. Okay. I mean, fine. I mean, that's no problem. Okay. <laughs> I think we got a deal. That's a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so, uh, you know, the Melanie Griffith stuff is amazing. Like, I feel like the movie really takes off energy-wise when she's on the screen. Yes. But the movie becomes a different movie. Like, all of a sudden, I feel like the movie gets really silly. Um it's not really scary. It's not very realistic. The it, it kind of goes off the rails in a weird way, like not not compelling, cool, over dramatic, like blowout. Yeah. But kind of nonsensical and impossible, and like what the fuck it's kind just, of. And yeah, I, it's like none of it. Could, like even at the end, like you know, like uh, all this stuff happens, and uh, suddenly the bad guy has like you know uh dug this huge hole that it would take you know three weeks for one person to actually dig that you know like this grave that's like tw- 10 feet deep yeah. and you know it's just like oh he just sort of did that on the fly you know like the, in three minutes it's just none of it made sense you have to kind of go along with like you said kathy it's just sort of this kind of weird trippy ride from that scene you know the porno movie music video scene on the movie just becomes something different yes and it's, it loses its luster for me because i think i love the first half and i like melanie griffith but together it's just sort of whatever i like about you know suspense films it kind of lost it it's entertaining it's fun it's not to me it's not as um you know intense as blowout or dress to kill and i also think De palma's just messing with us with the credit sequence at the end exactly <laughs> yeah. i was like what is i mean i in a, be in a movie theater seeing that would have been like oh my god my eyes yeah it was just so insane and that went on and on yeah yeah <laughs> insane yeah. but it's, you know it, it's a fun movie if you don't take it too seriously but i think he could have he could have made it a cool serious tight thriller but he decided to do something weird with it which you right. know okay <laughs> i think it's my least favorite of his movies it from is. that era but it's it's almost like a parody of of him you know like if if they yes. did a saturday night live parody of a brian de palma film it would be like that it, it's almost like brian de palma doing a version of brian de palma doing hitchcock yes instead of him actually doing hitchcock he's sort of imitating himself now and he even had like you know fake out oh, yeah yeah, anyway, yeah. maybe he got maybe he just got tired of doing. And maybe he just said, "I'm just going to you know take do this halfway and then make make a left turn into something ridiculous." Because yeah. you know, f you if you calling me a Hitchcock clone, I'm going to just take this in a different <laughs> direction. Maybe you know yeah. because he if he if he shored up some things and changed the second half of the movie, that could have been a real you know could have been you know really something you look back on as really a, a nice piece of film. And, and film I did but, love the Frankie Goes to Hollywood video. I thought that was really fun, and the music was really fun, and then theater would be really loud it was just so colorful and crazy it was great but yeah. what the fuck are you doing in there and nobody yeah. shoots a porn movie like that 
Yeah, it's, it's, just like, yeah, it's impossible to shoot that. It felt, it, felt, it felt like Rocky Horror Picture Show for yeah. three minutes or something. <laughs> like you know, he's playing the uh, you know the Barry Boswick character. You know? yeah, totally. <laughs> well, so interestingly, odd. you know, talk about the the Hitchcock thing. Uh, his his influence. Um, this is the last of his films that could be compared to Hitchcock in yeah. in that way for a while. I mean, there's he, after this he did Wise Guys, The Untouchables, Casualties of War, Bonfire of the Vanity which are, are really nothing like Brian De Palma films yeah, or, or Brian great. De Palma riffing on uh, Hitchcock. But then Raising Cain came in 92, which had a little bit of Hitchcock. Yeah. It, it seemed was a, like he kind of went back to his old De Palma for that, but it felt a little tired at that point. Yeah, it, it didn't quite work. It had John Lithgow in it, who was always mm-hmm. great. But yeah. then he did. Uh, then he went back and started doing these other films like Carlito's Way, which is a great gangster movie. It's a great, great, great. really good one. And then he did Mission Impossible, and then after Mission Impossible, he did Snake Eyes, which I remember when that came out, I had not, I mean, I think I saw Mission Impossible, and I was just like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to go see a Brian De Palma film, you know, I'll just wait until it comes out on Super VHS or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) but Mark told me, you know what, you should watch Snake Eyes, and so I actually, last night watched uh, Brian De Palma's Snake Eyes for the first time in my life and I really liked it. I felt like I really liked it too. I felt like I had discovered thanks to Mark an un- <laughs> you know an unseen classic Brian De Palma film. It had a, there was a little problem at the end. I didn't really love the ending and neither did Brian De Palma evidently. No. But what a what a great movie! And if you re, if you like Nicolas Cage, this has this has like one hundred percent Nicolas Cage in just about every shot, at at you know turned up to eleven. And yeah. at that point too, I'm like, why have they not worked together before this? Because yeah. they are perfect. Yeah. He, you know, because really, I mean, Nick Cage is perfect a, a perfect ca- actor for the over the top, crazy, colorful weirdness that is Brian De Palma. Yeah, yeah. So. And and the first scene is like a, you know one of those you know long tracking shot. long tracking shot that I just I marvel at it because yeah. I'm trying to think was this really done in one take because yeah. it's, it's it's just like hundreds of actors and a huge crew trying to pull this off. I mean, what choreography? There were a few opportunities walls? for like, cuts how? in there. It's were there? Crazy. Yeah, there there could have been some cuts in there. I was trying to, you know, I watched it again, and I was like, okay, they could have cut there. They there was a there was some swish pans that that are really easy to cut in the middle of. Yeah. So there were a few times when the when an actor would would walk past them in the foreground, which is another place to put a cut, and a few other little things. But But it's not distracting. It's it's not distracting, and you you get the feeling that you're in a continuous cut, which is the point, you know, and you're walking through this building and you're meeting all these characters and one of the things i love about this movie and i don't think i had seen this before in a classic de palma film was he did that kind of rashomon thing where he goes back in time in uh like you'll see something there's i mean one shot is um a door opens and nicholas cage's character sees somebody in that door and he's like hey hey and he and then somebody closes the door and he doesn't find the guy and he goes back to his other conversation and then later in the film we're we have a different point of view of that moment in time and we're inside the door and we see somebody open the door and he sees Nicolas cage out there saying hey hey (laughs) and then his guy closes the door and you follow their drama you know and you you i got a little confused by that at first 
because I, I the scenes the a pro, for, unfortunately I feel like the environment that he set this film in didn't have enough personality that I could tell one scene from the next so when they would go back in time I didn't make the connection till we were kind of halfway in the scene going oh wait this is a flashback oh wait this is a, like I got kind of confused on where they were in time sometimes when they did that Rashomon trick yeah well because it's all during like a before and during mm-hmm. a huge boxing match at a yeah. casino in Atlantic City so it's a lot of activity a lot of yelling a lot of you know sports uh, you know fans screaming and that kind of thing and Nicolas Cage is just running screaming you know like I forgot the uh, the, uh, the 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 boxer's name but he's just like you know, he's screaming to everybody up and yeah. down hallways and stuff what I did love about because uh, I remember looking at thinking it was so tacky like yeah. the whole thing was super tacky had this kind of Moroccan feel about it and then you realize the shot in the Taj Mahal, the Trump Hotel Taj Mahal, that disaster of a a place that went out, you know, bankrupt. It's like, it's funny just to see that over the top grossness with the kind of crazy (laughs) grossness that's happening in the film. (laughs) I just love that idea. Yeah, it was the the locate the, the location. Those oh. hallways are just hideous. Oh, just like the dis you know disorienting patterns and <laughs> shapes and just ugly design, just absolutely so ugly. ugly. But that becomes kind of a character in the film is mm-hmm. the is the labyrinth of these hallways and the casino and the 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 arena where the where the boxing match happened. You get the you get the feeling. I mean, what you're what you're shown in this film is an assassination. What happens is during this boxing match, uh, uh, an important senator, I guess, is assassinated. And the way you're shown this at the beginning at the beginning of the film is Nicolas Cage. You're, you're focused on his character. He's having a great time. His best friend is working security to protect the senator, and he gets a great seat because his buddy let him sit up there. And you see all these different people and sometimes you see somebody in the background who looks like they're doing something conspicuous or suspicious but the camera that classic keeps the palma thing but the yeah, yeah but the camera keeps moving we don't think about them again for a while we follow nicolas cage and everything's great all this stuff is happening the fight's exciting nicolas cage is shouting and all of a sudden and there's blood everywhere and and then you follow through with the kind of investigation, a beginning of an investigation. Nicholas Cage's character is a is a shady cop, and his best friend is this military guy who was assigned to protect the guy who now feels like he's failed. And then at one, at some point you go back in time and you you start getting more and more of the story as you progress through the film. So what you're shown is is what it would probably feel like to be. You know, to be a witness to such a thing, it happens out of nowhere, unexpected. You don't know. It's just like bam, bam, shots fired, and there's right. blood, and there's somebody on the ground, there's somebody over there, there's that. Who's that guy? Who's she? And it's great. You know, it really gives you that chaotic. And then suddenly, people are f- fleeing from the from the arena. But then, as it progresses through the film, you get the other point of views, and you start finding out what actually happened. And I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. You get to Carla, experience it. You know, you get to experience what it would feel like to be, you know, a witness to such a thing. 
It's got a really good cast. Like Gary Sinise plays yes. his sort of Navy buddy. Carla Gugino, I never know how to pronounce her last name. Uh, she's really good in it. Yes. And she she's kind of plays a femme fatale character. John Hurd, Stan Shaw, Kevin Dunn, you know, a big cast. But it has a classic De Palma stuff, like you said. Like There's a, there's also a great shot of like the overhead shot De Palma does, kind of like yes. the bird's eye view, like over like these different hotel rooms. Yeah. Just kind of going across that. I mean, just to put that in there is just great. It's just, I yeah. love stuff. You really get a sense of like this crazy hotel. What's what's happening in this one building? Just all kinds of nutty stuff. Yeah. But the weird thing was there wasn't one single shower scene. <laughs> what happened yeah. to Palma? You there lost your taste for the shower scene. He didn't do his his uh, you know gratuitous nudity in this one. This was this, this was this was 1998. You know, I think it's why I liked it. It just didn't feel quite as exploitative, even though the women. Um, in the movie were eh, I mean very conspicuous wigs very you know the one woman right. in the red dress with the red hair you know it's like they were almost caricatures but you know Carla's always great love her and Again. they kind of gave her a little depth which was good you know she became kind of more than just the the key to what was happening and again a woman in a disguise you know a woman right. in a yep. blonde wig and right. which is also reminiscent of vertigo you know the whole thing yep. of putting on this wig and you know reveal right. taking the wig off and revealing that you're you've been deceiving someone yep. but she turns you, out to you know we do we let's shall we save the um the spoiler at the end of this one and oh, yeah, not yeah. spoil. I, I will talk about the very. I mean, like De Palma didn't like the ending because there was some budgetary issues and they couldn't shoot it the way David David Kep or David Coepa was the screenwriter who's done plenty of films. I mean, he's a huge yeah. screenwriter. He did that Stir of Echoes. He did that recent Kevin Bacon movie. A bunch of us. A bunch of other stuff. Um, he was a screenwriter, but they couldn't do that, so they had to kind of just uh, do a cheaper version, and it just doesn't quite st- stick the landing, you know, for the for yeah. the, the climax of the movie, which is yeah, because you know they set up like you know during the also during the outside to bring it like like there's ticking time bomb is there's a hurricane coming, right? Or as they call it, a tropical storm. Yeah. <laughs> so the hurricane's coming, and they keep showing this this decorative huge metal globe that's dangling, and obviously something bad's going to happen. What a freaking misdirect that was, you know. Yeah. And I feel like that was sort of part of the budget thing of like you know some something's going to happen with that yeah. globe. Yeah. It, and yeah, it's like, just you feel like right, it happened? had to, but apparently they did film some scenes. Apparently the ending of the film involved a um, a tsunami or a giant you like know, tidal a tidal wave. Yeah, I saw that picture this giant tidal wave like out of abyss or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wipe out entire And his I, very, De Palma very said strange. that ended with the total destruction of Atlantic City. You know? I love that. And, <laughs> and so you're thinking, you know, that the idea at the end was that, you know, that the bad guys were gonna get swept away or killed in some very ma- massive and epic and dramatic way. Fall on you or something. I knew that globe was going to do something, or that. There, and there's also they set up all these missiles hanging in the arena because there's some kind yeah. of thing, a connection with a missile development. You know, there's this whole backstory, a substory, subplot, and there were these um, missile shapes that were being installed on this building. They were they were they were disassembling and reassembling this building into a new shape. And so there was a lot of construction going on during this hurricane. So there's all these missile, these pointed, sharp missile missile shapes, <laughs> construction. And one of them actually does crash through a wall. 
but it doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> it just crashes through a wall. <laughs> and it kind of falls down, and then that's the end of that. Yeah. Call the insurance agent. Yeah. But I oh, just, no, there it goes. I just, I just now, knew that something, the bad the bad guy was going to get, uh, you know, missled. He was going to get impaled by a missile, you know, of all that things. That is what should have happened. Yeah. Yeah, did you guys... The, a tsunami idea, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will t- I want, do want to mention the very ending. Did you watch through the credits? Yes. 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 I, I I love end credit things like that. Like, what's going on here? Because it start, it ends with you know Nicholas Cage's character talking to Carla Gugino's character on the boardwalk from the kind of a point of view from sort of the beach, and then they're talking, and then the end credits start to roll. You know, but the camera just stays on, like, and they push away from the character, push into like this construction, like they're re. I guess they're kind of rebuilding uh, yeah. the building. Yeah, they're putting in some concrete pilings and things. Concrete pilings or something. And so, like, like why? And then they're slowly pushing in, you know, end credits, the song is playing, and they're pushing, and they end up pushing in. And at the very end, they kind of reveal what's what it is. And did you know what that was? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know what it was. I did not know what it was. It was um, earlier in the film, there's a character that we meet who. Um, who who is funny because uh, you know the term red herring in a film is a is a thing that that distracts someone in a in a story but ends up not really being a part of the story. So there's a woman in the film who who actually in the in the context of this being a story she is a red herring and she has yeah. very she's conspicuous red, red, she's hair. red hair. She's a yeah, red dress, she's totally, red hair, yeah. right? Yeah. And she's oh, also wearing a, she's wearing yeah, this very big yeah. conspicuous red diamond. And, I mean, a red okay. ruby ring, and they do show it a couple times, and then you know later she's revealed to be a um, a baddie, and something happens to her and someone else, and and as people used to say about Jimmy Hoffa, he's probably in a concrete block in some building. Yeah. They were uh, their bodies were put into this concrete mold, and then at the end of the film, you see you know that thing Mark was just talking about. Because I was looking at it going, what the hell is that? I couldn't quite figure out what it was, and then I'm like, is that like some sort Sort of a vial, or and then I realized it was sort of like a gem or something. Yeah, it was very strange. But yeah. I do love that. Where you, the longer <laughs> you watch, the more you get. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just you know staying for the end credits you get a little bonus so, but Snake Eyes I think is one of his better latter in like the films yeah. of the last twenty years to me it, it has it ticks all the boxes for what you want to see in a De Palma movie yeah uh, it doesn't like I said it doesn't the, the ending is disappointing but the, the lead up is really fun and just very kind of alive the movie is very sort of you know boisterous yeah and Nicolas Cage if you're a Nicolas Cage guy this is you know Great. ground zero for his kind of over the top filmmaking it's yeah so it's like fun. his prime I think. Yeah. So now that we've covered all those Brian De Palma, what was your favorite of the four that we talked about? Uh, Just the four, because there's a lot. Like I guess uh, blowout talked about. Blowout's my favorite. I just yeah, I, I'm on blowout too. I think. I'm going to say blowout as well. Of the ones we talked about today, I have a I have another Brian De Palma film that is one of my favorite films of all time, uh, yes. Car- Carrie, which yeah. we could do a whole episode about. Which we did. Which we did. Which we did. <laughs> oh, so, okay. 100, 111 episodes or whatever. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do it again, though. It's so I good. could do another one. I could probably could talk about that movie. Episode. Yeah. My only complaint, like, I loved Blowout, but I do feel like it's one of the worst Nancy Allen performances yes. I've ever seen. So that was a little, that's a little demerit on Blowout, but overall, it had such great music, great plot, very tight, very cool, great ending, just one of the best endings. So yes. it definitely gets, like, my favorite. And then from there, it was probably Dressed to Kill, because it was just so classically yes. fun. 
Yes, I agree with you on those. Yeah, yeah Dress to so Kill is, are, a, is a classic. As far as what you're saying is very, being classic Brian De Palma, that one's yeah. that's one of the first that of his. Uh, I mean, Obsession Sisters. A little, uh, they both had the sort of Brian De Palma ness to them, but Dress to Kill is like prime. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and it was a huge hit when it came out. I remember yeah. I was like, wow, you know, just such such a different film. So, um, well, if you haven't seen De Palma films, try these out. I think if you're a fan of cinema, you will love these movies. Yeah. Or you will listen, you'll be moved by them in a certain way. Because uh, there are people, there are detrid, a lot of De Palma detractors out there who yeah. don't like him. They call him kind of, a, you know, like he's just kind of a, he copies Hitchcock. He's kind of a hack. He is. You know, he, this story is this and that. And whatever. He exploits but, women. Yeah, yeah, there's all those Super things which are they're, they're, they're all compelling arguments, but if you're just a fan of filmmaking and a, fa- a fan of watching movies, then you have to love these films because they are it's filmmaking. Yeah. And they're it's just like, so 80s. Like yeah. just it's really a time capsule. You get to see all the analog. You get to see there's sort of an innocence to them in a weird way. So, you know, I and they're just you know that super glossy thing that just is so De Palma. I you know, there was it was really fun to watch those movies. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was. And I want to see more. I'm going to I'm going to revisit some of the early ones, Sisters and Obsession and and I'll see Scarface again because I haven't seen that since it came out. I only watched yeah. it once. Because that, that scene, that scene was so scarring. I said, I can't watch that anymore. I know. I have a hard time with that scene. But you know, but... Al Pacino. I, I watch anything with Al Pacino. He's he's amazing in this film, like he is in everything he does. <laughs> but you know, Sisters is pretty surprising too. If you haven't seen that in years, I remember I saw that on probably on videotape a long time. I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it you know a long time ago, and. I remember thinking it was a really cool movie, and I, I watched it again recently thinking, oh, it's probably not going to hold up, but it actually is really fun. It's really weird. Margot okay. Kidder, Margo Kidder is really great in it. She's She kind of shows her acting chops in another, you know, sort of a little bit heavier than uh, Lois Lane in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our De Palma primer. As they say, <laughs> and if we were to tell people who haven't seen a Brian De Palma film which one they should start with, I might say Dress to Kill, even though I like Body, I mean uh, Blowout, yeah, better. I might say Dress to Kill is the yeah. sort of quintessential, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's Michael Caine, yeah, so, Michael Caine yeah. and Angie Dickinson, you know, yeah, she's yeah, so. All right. And it has a lot of those great, you know, De Palma moments. So definitely yeah. both of those movies. And check the, them and out. The great soundtrack. Just put the yeah. sound. I, I listen to the soundtracks, the Pino Donaggio soundtracks when I'm working sometimes, and you know, they're it's just great music. So yeah, great, it really is. Check them out, people. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This is. Uh, what is it? What's the name of the show again? <laughs> We've done so many, we've forgotten is, our name. <laughs> it's the Brian De Palma Comedy Hour. <laughs> Cinemondo Podcast. Look for us on Facebook slash Cinemondo Podcast, Twitter Cinemondo Pod, Instagram Cinemondo Podcast. Just look for Cinemondo Podcast. You will yeah. find us. We're, We're there. always posting. We're always posting. We're always answering our voluminous, uh, you know, listener mail. So please <laughs> check it out. That's check right. Thanks. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, and go watch some the Brian De Palma movies right now. Check them out. That is Check it out. <laughs> Meanwhile, this is Cinemondo signing out. Bye.